Would you take God's word and be finding, please? First uh, Peter chapter three and verse eighteen. We'll be in First Peter chapter three and verse eighteen. Um, our ser- sermon today is the end of the Passion series, but not the end of Passion. Um, yeah, uh, it's unstoppable love, and I, I think really a fitting closure to this particular series, just the unstoppable love, the unceasing love, um, the conquering love of Jesus Christ. Um, And I want that to be at the forefront of our minds today. What a marvelous depiction of the cross um, that we have uh, in this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 3.18. And uh, you'll see upon the slide, that's the our thematic verse, kind of our, our major verse for this time together is 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, saying this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen to that. Um, unstoppable love. But here's the question that we come to when we think about the cross when we think about Jesus being on that cross and why he did it. What is the reason for the cross? What's the purpose behind it? Why did did our Lord, having lived such a perfect life, have to go to the cross? What was the necessity of it? I can give it to you in one word, one three-letter word to make it simple for us, and that's sin. Now, you pick up your news source, whatever, however you get your news, it doesn't matter. You will find all matters of a sinful world. In fact, that's what the media really only reports is sinful news. I mean, news where the law is broken or bad things are happening. And the world is just filled with sin, murder, rape, robbery, war, pornography, sickness, even disease is all caused by sin. And you can just cover up every evil in the world, including sickness and death, because that came through sin. You can cover it all under the blanket of sin. Life is short. Death is sure, sin the curse, Christ the cure. I've shared that with you a number of times over the years, um, but I love it. It's in its brevity so poignant for us. And how does he cure? Through the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to the scripture. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died, that is, He suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's a great verse. There is enough gospel dynamite in that one verse to blow sin and hatred and sorrow and sickness out of anybody's life. But the dynamite must be ignited by a spark of faith. You must place your faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to learn today exactly how, how God forgives sin, how God deals with sin. Now suppose somebody you know, were to come up on this stage and punch me in the face. I'm not looking for any volunteers. Sit down, sit down. A couple of you getting up here. What if somebody were to just come up and just slug me real good? And supposing that, you know, somebody uh, else comes along and, and sees it, uh, and, but out of an act of compassion, my nose bleeding, I, I tell the, the puncher, I forgive you. And, and maybe one, one or two others, hey, I saw the whole thing. I want you to know there's no need to forgive anybody. I forgive the both of you. Or, or, the, or the person who laid into me says, hey, neither one of you need to forgive me. I've already forgiven myself. Now you think about that, it's a little silly, but friends, listen to me. Only, only the one who got punched can provide forgiveness for the one who hit him. Now understand that. Sin is a clenched fist in the face of God. And only God can forgive sin. God is a holy God. And sin is an affront, a, a reproach, a rebellion against a holy God. And that sin has to be dealt with. Everyone's sin and all of sin. And our text today points out some wonderful truths how, about how God forgives sin and about how He deals with sin. And as we consider the unstoppable love of Christ, I want you to see, as we look at 1 Peter 3.18, what many theologians call the, the vicarious suffering of the cross. And I'm just going to look at that point today. Or you could say the vicarious death of cross. The word vicarious just simply means in the place of another. It means substitutionary. Let's look at 1 Peter 3.18 again. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. That is, Jesus who is just, who never sinned, the virgin-born, sinless, spotless, stainless Lamb of God, Son of God. He is the righteous one. And He died, for you and me, the unrighteous. The unrighteous. That's, that's all of us. He became our substitute. All throughout the Bible, God has been teaching the lesson of substitution. Today is Palm Sunday. So grateful for a day that we can celebrate Jesus being celebrated as he was. But do you think it is by accident or by chance that the passion of Christ occurred during Passover week? That Palm Sunday occurred at the, at the beginning of that week? That Jesus chose that week to make his triumphal entry into the city. 
No, no. It is not by accident. It is not by happenstance. What is Passover? And I want us just to look a little bit back into the Old Testament, just to refresh our memories, that God really wanted to give a prophecy of the cross of Christ, kind of a, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he instituted the ritual of the Passover lamb. And there was judgment. I mean, his wrath was coming down upon the Egyptian people because of all of their sin. But God told his own people to take a lamb, a spotless lamb without blemish. They were to kill that lamb and drain its blood. And the blood was to be shed. And they were to take that blood of the lamb and put that blood of the lamb upon their doorposts and upon their lentils uh, of their doors. Not just, you know, I've seen some pictures of Passover and they somebody just you know, wiped a little blood across the door. Well, that's not, that's not what they did. They put it across and down. Down and across the top of the door. And of course, you know what that symbolizes. The blood of the Lamb, it symbolized the cross. Now, none of them knew what a cross was. You know, it, it wouldn't be developed for another thousand or so years. Have you, have you thought about it? That blood going down the side of the door and, and, and the blood going across the top of the door. The cross, even back in the Old Testament, was evident. And even so long ago, God picturing, God is really picturing, and he's, and he's prophesying the blood and God said to those Israelites so long ago, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Jews today don't even know that was a celebration of Christ well in advance. Except those that are saved. We refer to them as Messianic Jews. But when you yourself are put under the blood of Christ, you will be saved. Now, you say, well, how's that different than, you know, I, I, I prefer not the blood to be over me. That sounds kind of icky. I prefer the blood to be uh, under me, where, where, where I don't get my shoes dirty. I, I don't get uh, all, you know, whatever happened to Christ. I don't want that to happen. But let me tell you, if you trample upon the blood of Christ and do not find yourself under the blood, as even the Passover lamb, way back when in the Old Testament, portrayed, you'll find yourself in grave trouble. You'll find yourself, while you trample upon the blood of Christ and deny His existence or deny His salvation, you will be under the wrath of God. And it's very clear in the whole of Bible, God will pass over you if the blood is applied. But if you're trampling upon the blood of the Lord and Savior, our sweet Jesus Christ, if you're trampling upon that, God's wrath will be upon you. But if you put the blood beneath your feet, the blood passes over you. I mean, the blood just falls down, and Jesus has died, and he has, he has given his very life, and he has bled for you. He has bled for our sins. We can be saved. 
Let's look at 1 Peter, a different chapter, chapter 1. If you want to turn over there, if you happen to have your Bible open or your digital device, two chapters before, verses 18 and 19, speak well to this. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but but with the precious blood of Christ. With the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus is that Passover lamb. He is the lamb without blemish, without spot, without defect. By the time of Christ, the priest and the Levites instructed a very special group of shepherds to grow a very special lamb. The Passover lamb. These were the finest, these were the best lambs, they were grown in Bethlehem. Picture it, in Bethlehem. During Passover week, those lambs would come up out of the fields of Boaz. And go to the book of Ruth to find out what that's all about. But up from Bethlehem to the Temple Mount, and they would enter through the Sheep Gate to be examined by the high priest, by the Levites, and then over in another other side of Jerusalem, coming down from the Mount of Olives that very same day, riding upon a donkey is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that today. His coming triumphantly into the city, God's Lamb, going up Mount Moriah. A little bit of Old Testament history. You might remember Mount Moriah. When Abraham was instructed to take his son Isaac, probably young teenager, and to sacrifice him. And he was going to do it. Abraham was so, uh, so obedient to the Lord that he, he would have done it. But of course, you remember the angel stayed his hand, and there, in the bushes, in the thicket, was a ram, was a sacrifice provided by God himself. On the same day, Jesus is coming triumphantly to the city. The lambs are being brought in from Bethlehem through the sheep gate, Palm Sunday. It's week of Passover. And when those lambs come, the priests began to look at those lambs and examine those lambs. They would look inside the mouth. They would look all throughout the fleece and the little hooves and and even the eyes and even the eyelids to make sure there was no blemish. There could be no flaw in the Passover lamb. The lamb was not worthy if it had any blemish. He had to be a special lamb. But the same time that those lambs were coming into the city, so God's lamb was coming into the city, the triumphal entry. Very same time. You see, there was another lamb born in Bethlehem. Somebody wrote these words. I think they're cute, but they're, they're also so meaningful. Mary had a little lamb. His life was white as snow. 
and everywhere that God would send, the lamb was sure to go. He never knew sin, but he was super obedient, perfectly obedient to what Christ, to what the Father wanted him to do. He was the virgin-born Son of God, God's sinless Lamb. And the Lamb that Abraham talked about on Mount Moriah when he said, God Himself will provide a Lamb. Not a Lamb for Himself. He Himself will be the Lamb. Have you ever wondered why so much of the Gospels are given over to Jesus' final week? The last week of His life? I mean, so much that Jesus did and said, so much that He taught, so many of the parables. Why is that? Because this week is the climax of it all. And it's there in the last week that Jesus Himself is being thoroughly examined, just like those little lambs, the Passover lambs. He is being examined by the Pharisees. He's being examined by the Sadducees by the Herodians. He's being examined by the civil leaders. And all have to say, I find no fault in them. Which is why they trumped up charges against him, put him on false trials, lied about him. God's perfect lamb, Jesus, could look them all in the eye. And this is what he said. Which of you convicts me of sin? He was the sinless, spotless lamb as he was being examined. And then the day came, that day, that when the Passover lamb was to be slain. And at three in the afternoon, the priest would tilt the head of that little spotless lamb, take their very sharp and lethal knives and cut the throat of that little lamb. The same time that what was happening on cruel Golgotha, God's Lamb was pouring out His precious blood for mankind. And, and Jesus said from the cross, He said, guys, it is done. It is finished. Paid in full. <laughs> Levites, you can put it all away, pack up your knives, go on home. There's no need for any more sacrifices. Shepherd, your job's finished. Raise some lambs for the common folk. They're not going to need your lambs anymore in the temple. It's done. Hallelujah, it is finished. Jesus, God's lamb, died upon that cross. The purpose of the cross is substitution. And again, when the Lord Jesus Christ died, He fulfilled another Old Testament symbolism. And the symbolism of the scapegoat. Have you heard about the scapegoat? You all kind of know what a scapegoat is. The high priest would take a goat and say, that's going to be the scapegoat. He would lay his hand upon the head of the goat and confess the sins of the people upon the head of that goat. Then the goat would be led outside of the city where the goat would be killed and his blood shed. And that's the reason the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died outside the city walls. And I'll just throw this in for free. 
on the old Mount Moriah, the same place where Isaac was almost sacrificed a long time before. Same place. Because Jesus was our scapegoat. Our sins were laid upon Him, and He carried those sins to the cross in agony and in blood. Another illustration is that Pilate, Pilate was there in the judgment hall. You all remember Roman governor Pilate? Pilate did not want to crucify the Lord Jesus, not because he had placed his faith in him, but simply because he couldn't find anything wrong with him. But Pilate was a fence-straddling politician. You know any of those? Don't answer. So he's trying to get out of this situation the best he can, and the people are clamoring for the blood of Jesus. Pilate thinks, though, hey, I've got an ingenious scheme. I can set Jesus free, but let the the people do it. Let the people do it. He says, hey, we've got another man here. It's our, our custom every year to release one prisoner to the people. And that man's name was Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a thief. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a true insurrectionist. And they thought, surely, if there was ever a man that needs to be put to death, it's Barabbas. Even by the Jewish people's standards. So Pilate says, according to tradition... We always release a prisoner to the people. We let them choose who they will pardon and whom will stay condemned. We have here Barabbas. We have here Jesus. Which of the two do you wish that I release to you? You know what they said? Barabbas. Well, we know he's scum. We know he's one of us. We don't care anything about him. But release to us Barabbas. He said, well, what should I do with Jesus? Call the Christ. They said, let him be crucified. And it's the same crowd, the same fickle crowd that when he was coming in on Palm Sunday, they were saying, hail him, hail him. Now they were saying, nail him, nail him. Oh, the wickedness of human hearts. How quickly it can change. And they carry Jesus, God's Passover lamb, Jesus, God's scapegoat, to the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. And he hung up on that cruel cross to die. But I want want you to picture one more scene with me before we close. Use Use the mind's eye this time. Use your imagination. I want you to see another Roman soldier as the final verdict is given. They're taking Jesus to the cross. And this Roman soldier takes his torch, walks down a dark corridor of the local Roman prison. The brig, so to speak. He comes to a door that has iron bars on it. And he holds the, the torch up. Back in the shadows is a man who is sprawled out on on a mat of of straw. 
And when he sees the Roman soldier, he cowers there in the almost darkness. And the guard puts his key in the door, opens it up, says, Come on, Barabbas, get up, you're coming with me. And Barabbas, looking, looking like a frightened bird caught in a trap, all of a sudden lost all of his courage. No, no, please, wait, don't kill me. Please have, have mercy. The Roman soldier looks at Barabbas and says, Barabbas, quit your blubbering. I've never seen a man with a fortune and luck that you have. Barabbas, you rascal, you're, you're not going to die, at least not today. There's somebody else who's going to die in your place. Come here, Barabbas. Look through that little hole in the wall window. You see up on that hill, you see that cross? That middle cross, Barabbas. We built that for you. But you're not going to hang there today. There's someone else on that cross. He's taking your place. I don't know what happened to Barabbas after that. I'd love to tell you. He was gloriously saved. I don't, we just don't know. We don't read any more about him. But I am saying that God has arranged a perfect picture of substitution, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. For Christ died, suffered for sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring us to God. He was put to death in the body. Made alive by the Spirit. Christ suffered for our sin. Many of you have seen some form, a version of the Passion Play, which depicts the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. But no Passion Play can, can properly depict the suffering of Jesus. Tongue cannot tell. Throat cannot sing. Hand cannot paint the tragedy that was called Calvary and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ and His unstoppable love. Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we bow our heads and close our eyes right now, our attention is just drawn, Father, inescapably to the cross. Now we're going to celebrate further what Jesus did for us on Friday. But our attention is called there now because we're coming to a time, Lord, right now, where we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper. Father, I just ask that you get our hearts ready. That you help us to, to not be always looking at our pitiful, pathetic lives, but that we reflect upon the One who calls us now to Himself and he's calling some father who, right now who don't know you and calls upon them to stop trampling upon his blood and to be filled with his spirit, to fall under the blood that he so freely shed for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. And if that person, father, is here and, and, and they're hearing this call right now, may they give their hearts and lives over to you, father, for no one can be saved but by the name of Jesus Christ. 
But Lord, we must accept him by faith. We must accept him into our heart and challenge ourselves and one another to live for him the rest of our lives. And Father, for all the rest of us here, as we observe this supper, may we remember Jesus the way he said to be remembered, his broken body upon the cross, his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, his unstoppable love. We remember 